European Assets Trust, which is run by today's guest Sam Kosh, invests in companies listed in European countries other than the UK. But unlike many other ex-UK funds, it focuses on smaller companies and also looks to deliver a fairly high level of income. European Assets Trust has a good record of paying its shareholders decent dividends, but over recent years, its total returns have lagged EMIX smaller European companies ex-UK index. Sam, why has the trust lagged this index in recent years? Well, if we we can take that back to 2016 when we had Brexit-related issues, and uh, uh, sadly we were too exposed to Brexit, and we took quite a hit in that year. Since then, the sort of the returns have been, I would say, lacklustre, but actually no, not unreasonable given what we're trying to do for investors, and that's to deliver a good long-term return through the market cycle, grow the NAV while paying out the six percent uh, year-end uh, dividend to, to shareholders. Okay. Now, over the first half of this year, the trust performance was actually much mm-hmm. better and it beat EMIC's smaller European companies, ACUK index. What drove the performance and can it continue? Yeah, well, with, with smaller companies, funds, it's always about stocks. And what we found in the first half of the year that our, our companies really delivered good operational performance. And actually, if you segmented the months, we either delivered well when the companies delivered results or we preserved capital when the market fell. And the combination of those two things led to a good outperformance over the first half. What about the second half? Are you confident you can continue to deliver? Well, we're confident that the portfolio is in the right shape to deliver uh, returns over the long term. And, uh, you know, I think when you look at investment horizons, it's very difficult to talk about short term. Long term, we believe in the philosophy and we believe it will give the good returns to investors just as it has done over the previous market cycle. Okay. Now, the Trust's board hopes that European Assets Trust's inclusion in the FTSE All Share and FTSE Small Cap indices since June will narrow its discount to net asset value. This hasn't actually happened yet. So, I mean, will including the trust in these indices help? And I mean, how long might it take for the discount to narrow? The European Assets Trust changed its listing to be only listed in the UK after a dual listing in Holland and the UK. Um, and in the first half of the year, we were included in the uh, relevant indices and we did see some some buying uh, following that. And indeed, the shareholder register has changed. Um, I think actually what's happened more recently with the discount being a bit wider than we would like, although it's, um, it's reasonably narrow compared to the peer group, um, is that... There's a a general um, malaise, I think, from investors looking towards Europe. And indeed, European equities has seen outflows for quite some time. And I think that overrides any uh, benefit of the UK listing for the time being. Okay. Now, you pay a dividend each year worth 6% of your NAV on the 31st of December. Um, Do you think that your 2019 one will be an increase on the 2018 one? And and by how much? Okay. So, um, as you say, that, that... the, the dividend is measured at 6% of the year-end NAV, and that's paid in four instalments through the year. As we sit here now, we are looking at an increase in dividend for the, for the next year, announced at the end of, uh, in January 2020, and we're looking at a uh, more than 10% currently, notwithstanding what will happen in markets for the rest of the year. Okay. Now, 
how much of a dividend payments and the trust total returns affected by currency fluctuations? Because obviously this has been a big consideration for, I suppose, overseas equities funds in the UK recently. And, um, and do you do anything to try and deal with currency? Um, I'll answer the, the second part of that question first. And we don't do any hedging with the currency. What we found is that it's very difficult to hedge the underlying holdings um, and it costs money to hedge. So we think actually for our shareholders, it's not good value. There is an argument, I think, to suggest that maybe the dividend in January should be hedged for the year so shareholders know exactly what they're getting. And I know that the board um, is aware of that issue, but currently we do not do any hedging and we are exposed to currency fluctuations, both good and bad. Having said that, if we look at the underlying holdings, we like good businesses and we look at the currency exposure that they do have. Um, So what we want to see there is that the company themselves, the business models, are not going to be um, corrupted or impacted by currency movements. And we're comfortable with the portfolio in that respect. European smaller companies are not typically associated with income. So to what extent do you pay your high level of dividends from income and to what extent from capital? Okay, I mean, the the structure of the trust is that it doesn't have an income account. So uh, unless we reduce cash or we increase gearing, we do have to sell shares to pay pay the dividend. Having said that, um, the underlying yield of the portfolio is just over 2%. And I think that underplays the amount of capital we get back from companies because in Europe, for example, in Denmark, they like to give cash by um, buying back shares. But yes, the the, uh, dividend is out of a combination of capital and income. What proportion was it in, um, you know, the the last financial year? Okay, so... um, we roughly just under two and a half percent of the total NAV or the aggregate dividend yield of the portfolio um, is two and a half percent. And so the rest would have to be made up through uh, capital. And what we say to shareholders is through the market cycle, we think we can deliver you a good dividend yield of 6% of the year-end NAV while growing uh, growing the NAV through the market cycle. And, and, that, and we have achieved better than that over the market cycle thus far. Obviously, like I said, the asset class isn't, isn't associated with income, but um, some companies do. So when you invest in companies, you're looking for new investments, do you select any of an income focus at all? Um, that's not where we start from. Um, w- what we want is is to to align ourselves with management teams that are proven have a proven track record of good capital allocation, and we trust them to use their capital to get the best return for shareholders. And you know that could be by reinvesting in the business to get more growth. And actually, quite frankly, that's our preferable route. But if the management teams um, decide that they can't do that, then they'll give the the cash back to shareholders. We're more likely to be investing in long-term growth businesses. But where there is a significant valuation discount, and that is uh, reflected in a high dividend yield, then you know we are happy to invest. But that's not our starting point. Okay. Now, you like to invest in companies that can make good returns through economic cycles. So what sort of companies does this lead you to? Okay. Well, I mean, maybe I can outline a perfect company. And um, what, what you're trying to get is a company with a strong business model that can protect itself from competition. 
um, that is exposed or outgrowing an industry that is not cyclical, so is not going to be impacted by the economic cycle, and also maybe has a high degree of recurring revenues and predictability to it. And then uh, the other thing we'd want to see is that a company has a strong balance sheet. Now, that is a good business, a company that can generate high return on capital on an enduring basis. Um, the challenge of that is, you know, these are not cheap companies, and particularly in this market cycle, which has been extremely unusual because it has been driven by uh, monetary um, support from central banks, which has driven a big disparity in the market towards quality companies. What I would say, though, is... The benefits of European smaller companies is that we have a very large universe of stocks to select from. So we can build a portfolio that is both good quality, but also has valuation support to it. And we think through the long term, that is the best uh, way to look after shareholders' capital. Okay. I mean, those sound like really good attributes, but um, how do you determine um, you know, um, which companies um, will, you know, give you what you want? I suppose, what, you know, what's your process and how can you, you know, how can you try and work out which company is going to do well for the cycle? Okay, well, um, there's various different ways that we do that. But what it starts with is really understanding the business model. Does a company have a wide moat? Why is a wide moat important? Well, it protects it from um, uh, competition, competing against the good returns that they're they're making. Um, And, you, you know, you can... Wide moats are reflected in high returns on capital, high margins. And once we've established companies that we think might be uh, applicable for our inclusion in the portfolio, we will meet these companies and then we will do right investment notes. Um, um, and um, following those, uh, that research, we'll make a decision as to whether, buy, whether to buy these companies or not. The latest fact sheet suggests that the trust's geographic allocation has a bit of a bias to Northern Europe. So when you're selecting holdings, I mean, do you take their geographic focus into focus and uh, listening in, into consideration? Um, so what we're trying to do is we go out there, find good companies run by good managers and, and try and buy them at an acceptable price. Um, and really, the portfolio is built fr- from that conceit. So actually, the geographic exposure is not that important at that stage. When we, th- when we think about geographies, um, the most important thing for us is good corporate governance. And we think actually um, there is a good long-term correlation between good corporate governance and good portfolio returns. And it's, it's no surprise to me that actually we have a higher proportion of the portfolio in Northern Europe. Um, let's take Scandinavia as an example where, um, you know, Sweden perhaps it, it, it is a good example within that, that um, they are very focused on corporate governance and increasingly focused on the uh, e-environmental and social aspects of corporate governance. And we think that reflects the, the mind, open mindset of, uh, of the stock markets to good corporate governance. And we think you know, that potentially is a good place to, to, to look after shareholders' capital, essentially. Okay. And um, is that the case also of sectors? Do you consider, you know, make sector considerations when um, allocating? Our process is very much bottom up. We start with the philosophy of of investing in good businesses and then we go and find those businesses. And it doesn't really matter what sector we invest in, but naturally we are 
uh, more likely to, to, to invest in certain sectors than in others. For example, we talk about predictable cash flows. We talk about growth. Well, you know, healthcare is a good example where health spending is usually not related to the economic cycle. There's generally a high degree of intellectual property within healthcare, which protects you from competition. And it's a, reg- it's a regulated market, but in a good way that um, it, it yields oligopolies that can uh, deliver good returns over a long time. But we are, for example, less likely to invest in more volatile areas or areas where government regulation can be negative or maybe you know, it's natural to support the invest the equity with a lot of debt. So I'd say utilities and real estate are areas that we ha- we haven't really spent a lot of a lot of uh, uh, investors' capital in recent years. I think your large holdings are listed companies, but do you hold or would you consider holding any unquoted companies? No, we think that requires a different skill set. And while a you know a investment trust is potentially a good vehicle for um, illiquid assets, actually we are invested in the liquid market within uh, within Europe. And actually, the portfolio, despite being uh, smaller companies, is very very liquid, and we can easily execute uh, trades and liquidate trades. Uh, in fact, it's a it's a focus of the board at the moment. Our recent board meeting, we, I had to report on liquidity and. Uh, Yes, um, the, the portfolio is very liquid, and yes, ultimately we don't hold uh, unlisted investments. Okay, so what would be um, some examples of stocks you have recently added to, or perhaps introduced to the portfolio? So, if I look at the um, since the half year, we've we've invested in four new companies. Um, and they all share similar characteristics in that, you know, as we've talked about, they, they don't have cyclical growth. They have strong market positions represented by uh, high market shares. Um, they also have strong balance sheets. And we think um, it's important to avoid debt at this point in the market market cycle. Um, so let me give you an example of one of these companies. And we've, we've recently invested in a smaller company in Sweden. This stock came to the to the market um, um, earlier this year, um, but since then we've had the opportunity to meet the management management team. Um, and the company is called Carnov. It is the leading provi- provider um, of information uh, to the legal community in Sweden and Denmark. It has a very high market share and is multiple times bigger than its competitors. It has a very long history, which actually gives a strong brand. It is also embedded with its customers. So actually, it's quite difficult to get rid of because it's embedded in the work workflows of its customers. And the end market is not really that cyclical. Um, in fact, the number of lawyers is growing as society, as law becomes more complicated. But also, we become more litigious. But the really beautiful part of this investment is that um, they recently consolidated the Swedish market, which is about half um, uh, half the revenues of the company. But the pricing in Sweden is 30% below that in Denmark. And we think through time they could increase pricing to the same levels in Denmark. And we think that will be very powerful for their margins and ultimately their cash generation. So we think um, this is a, a great business trading at attractive price because it's relatively new to the market with, with a long runway of growth, which is not cyclical. So 
you know, for us, that's the perfect sort of business we want to hold uh, hold for our shareholders. Okay. Now, smaller companies are considered to be riskier than larger yeah. ones. So, I mean, what are the main risks uh, at the moment to the areas and stocks that you invest in? Um, I think ultimately, yes, the, the small companies um, are is a really attractive place to invest because they, over the long term, they tend to deliver better growth. However, they are less liquid, which means they're harder to trade. So if, if you see um, big changes in liquidity, you know, or panic in the market, they can get hit, 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 um, hit, hit badly. But within an investment trust, I think it's a very good vehicle because we don't have to sell or buy shares because we don't get the daily flows um, from investors, which sort of reflects uh, the latest sentiment. Having said that, if I look at the market... Where do I see the risks at the moment? Well, I've already alluded to the, the this market cycle, which has been really driven by interest rates. Low interest rates, monetary easing has pushed uh, investors towards long-term growth stocks. And there is a big um, uh, polarisation between growth and everything else. And we think... The danger is holding expensive growth stocks that actually don't turn out to be growth stocks that are maybe cyclical. And I think the, the problem there is you start seeing downgrading earnings exacerbated by derating. And if they've got balance, uh, balance sheet or, or debt, that could be a lot worse. So what we've done in the portfolio over the last 18 months is really looked closely at our holdings to make sure we don't hold anything that – is expensive, cyclical, and has got debt. So we've pared back that sort of exposure and made sure the stuff that we have, the holdings that we have that are trading at the premium to market are genuinely uncyclical structural growth stories. So we would be very careful of debt. So if you look at the... Look at the structure of the portfolio. We have less debt than the benchmark, considerably less debt than the benchmark. The... Quality characteristics such as growth, return on capital are better than the benchmark. Um, but, and we're paying a little bit more than the benchmark, but, but not a lot more. So we think actually we've worked hard in, in trying to mitigate those risks by having a portfolio with the right characteristics, good quality, with low debt and not very expensive. Okay. Now, if trade relations between Europe and the US worsen, I mean, how vulnerable would the companies in uh, European Assets Trust be? Okay. Well, we don't, I mean, the the stocks that are most uh, affected by that are the cyclical businesses, because this has been about, um, about trade, uh, supply chain disruption. And, you know, I've already talked about not being exposed to expensive cyclical stocks that might be impacted by that. However, what I would say is the areas that would be impacted have already been impacted and look pretty attractive, actually. So if you look at the auto sector, an, an area that is would not naturally be a large part of the portfolio and isn't currently a large part of the portfolio, I would say that has, is anticipating discounting a very poor scenario anyway. So... You know, I think while you want to avoid the expensive cyclical stocks, actually there's some really cheap cyclical stocks out there um, and they might be worthy of a look. And within the portfolio, we have a company called Norma, which has been hit very badly uh, by the auto, um, the impact in the auto sector. And actually what we've been doing is adding to that recently. So the stuff that's been most impacted, it has already happened, I would argue. 
Okay, so have you made any other changes other than adding to? No, so we, we well we we've um, reduced the expensive cyclical parts. We've marginally added to some cheaper cyclical parts, but you know we're not we 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 are comfortable with the overall shape of the portfolio. You know the the style characteristics, good return on capital, good growth, strong balance sheets, and you know, not paying too much for them is the right right area for the portfolio. When we sell stocks, it's because of one or two, well, because of two things. Either they've got too expensive and there's no margin of safety less left in them or the investment case is broken. So there will be changes to the portfolio based on that and finding new ideas. But really, um, the trading that we've done recently is just to make sure that the characteristics of the portfolio are right for long term for our investors. Okay, so what will be examples of holdings you've reduced to sold recently? Um, and um, did you have any other reasons for doing that? Apart from the reductions in the more expensive cyclical stock, so we've taken some money out of Dometic, for example, which is mm-hmm. a stock that's done very well for us, and it may, it's a, it, it makes components for the. Um, uh, recreational vehicle market um, and the shares have done well partly because it's been more resilient than expected but also they have a new CEO on board um, we we have um, re- have sold a uh, entire position in a company called Viscafan which is a Spanish company that makes synthetic sausage skins um, it's a company that's done very well for us over quite a long period of time and it's reached a valuation where we think actually the the growth that is expected of it is not going to materialise. So we think actually the investment case has changed in that respect. So we have decided to sell the position. Okay. Now you mentioned that um, you don't particularly like your companies to be indebted. Mm-hmm. Um, the investment trust itself also doesn't have any gearing yeah. or debt at the moment. Is this due to the concerns that you set out or, or what are the reasons for that? I think if you if you look at the... Po- a part of the market we really like, and that's structural growth companies. The biggest impact on this market cycle has been monetary expansion by central banks. That has allowed or pushed, for example, pushed investors that normally invest in fixed income assets to look at similar assets in the equity markets. It's allowed equity investors to use a much lower discount rate for valuing these growth companies, which are most sensitive to lower rates. Um, and it's meant that that area of the market has, has reached valuation levels, which, you know, in aggregate look to us expensive. Okay. So we have. You know, and to sort of go back to your point of how we started this podcast, when we, you know, the returns have been a bit lackluster in recent years, it's probably because we've been a bit too disciplined on valuation. But what we think is we want to gear up the portfolio when we find the opportunities to invest in these great businesses at great prices. And I have a list of 20 companies that I would happily buy to model tomorrow, which are great businesses run by good managers, but they are just too expensive. And if we see a market correction, we will buy those businesses very, very quickly. So the lack of gearing is really keeping our powder dry for, for that eventuality. And, you know, ultimately, we're trying to look after shareholders' capital for the long term. We think this is the best way to do it. 
Okay, thank you, Sam. A really useful update on European Assets Trust and the prospects for European smaller companies. That brings us to the end of today's interview. But for more European trade tensions, see the big theme in the 18th of October issue of Investors Chronicle or on the website at www.investorschronicle.co.uk and also see the website for more interviews of managers of European equities and smaller companies' funds. Thank you for listening.